Well, good morning. Welcome to Redeemer. So glad that you are here. It is December, uh, which means for us it is Advent season. And if that is a new thing to you, I hope that I will uh, explain that in just a few moments in a way that's helpful to you. But uh, just as a reminder, we do have some free Advent guides in the lobby. If you have not got one of these uh, in the last week or so, I would invite you to grab one of these. Basically, this outlines some very different um, and incredible uh, just kind of guides to help us think through as a family or with roommates or fight club, community group, whatever the context might be. Just what does it truly mean to us that Jesus has come uh, and that's what Advent means. So if you didn't get one of these, let me invite you to grab one on your way out and use it in whatever context is most helpful for you. All right, Advent, the word, uh, Pastor Jonathan just shared a little bit about that with us, but it it means coming, it means uh, arrival, and so what we celebrate as not just Redeemer Church, um, but all over planet Earth, uh, for hundreds of years, there's been a tradition uh, called Advent, and I think it's helpful uh, to remind people that this is not a biblical command, right? This is not like the Bible uh, talks about, uh, commands a Sabbath. Uh, this is not like a Passover that's described in the Bible. Uh, this is a Christian tradition that has come about uh, after Christ came. Uh, but it is incredibly important and it's so powerful because we get to set aside some very pointed time, as does much of the church throughout the world. Uh, to really focus on four main things, uh, if you think about kind of a table, these are the legs that hold up the table, uh, that just are, are representative and they're true for us because Jesus has come. Hope, peace, joy, love. Those are so incredibly important, uh, not just for d- December, not just for Advent, but just for the health of the human soul. And we have those in Christ every day. Uh, but what we get to do during Advent is have some time set aside to think about uh, and as believers to uh, really remind ourselves the weightiness of what we have in Christ. And then that's also the hope and the message that we hold out um, to the world that maybe in a, uh, in, a, in a unique way during a holiday is looking for some answers in life. And what we hold to them is hope, peace, joy, and love in Christ. And so uh, today, uh, the one that we are going to be uh, preaching through and talking about is hope. Everybody say hope. Every year, uh, th- th- I, you know, we preach most of the time, we'll do an Advent series, and uh, when I land on hope, I, I tend to find this one of the more difficult sermons that I uh, put together, because hope is a little bit of a difficult uh, concept or word to understand, mainly because there's a big difference uh, between the kind of the, the, the Greek and the Hebrew word words for hope, and what the Bible is trying to convey when it talks about hope, and what we hear, and just the connotation in our language, and our culture of hope. And so there's such a big difference between the two. Uh, I find it hard to preach what the Bible is saying because we hear a different thing. Uh, I was with uh, a friend uh, and his daughter and my daughter this uh, the last two days and we were in the car. We had a lot of FaceTime and uh, I didn't know this, but uh, well, face, uh, we had ear to ear, so not FaceTime, but we were next to each other, a lot of windshield time. And I'm learning a lot of things about windshield time with two 11-year-old girls in the car. Um, there was a lot of Taylor Swift going on. And uh, I cannot hold my own in singing Taylor Swift songs. But what we something very random came up, and it made me think of this, um, that we threw out the word toboggan uh, because it was cold, and so we wanted a toboggan. But when I say the word toboggan, half of you think about uh, like a beanie or something that you would put on your head to keep your ears warm. Uh, half of you might think about a sled that goes zooming. Uh, you know, I, I now know who you are and where the lines are drawn. But I say the word toboggan, and if, if you're thinking of something different than I 
I'm thinking, then you get really confused. If you're thinking about a hat and I start talking about sitting on your toboggan and riding down a mountain, at some point you're going to be fairly confused, though we're using the same word. Uh, the, the, the word when we say hope in English carries this idea of like uh, wishful thinking or I, I hope that I, I win the lottery and I hope that uh, the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. And I think the statistics for those per- perhaps are relatively similar. But like it, it carries this idea of like the odds are really stacked against us, but wouldn't it be nice, right? That's kind of the feel for the word hope when we just say it in our context. And that is just a very far cry from what the Bible means when the Bible talks about hope. When the Bible is talking about hope, specifically connected with Jesus, it's not, I hope Jesus comes back, or I hope heaven is real, or I hope that my sins are forgiven. It is a a sure 100% thing that's just in the future and has not happened yet. It would be much more like thinking about, um, you know, maybe maybe it's been a, a, a cold night and you are hoping for the sun to rise. It's not kind of a roll of the dice and like maybe it will, maybe it won't. No, it will. Uh, it's just you're, you're leaning in and you're waiting on something that is sure to come. Or maybe it's been a long winter and you're hoping for spring. Well, spring has come every year right on time. And, and so, like, th- th- that's why I think, for, at least for me, it's difficult because we want to make sure what we are, are, are hearing and taking in and understanding is what we are supposed to glean from Jesus coming. So when, when we're going to dive in today, and I want to invite you to turn to First uh, Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 1 and chapter 3 are the uh, main two places that we're going to look this morning. Uh, when we talk about hope, don't think about uh, winning the lottery, don't think about something that might happen, think about something that is absolutely sure, it is just in the future, and we're leaning into that and waiting on that. Uh, and surely hope uh, is an incredibly important thing for us to preach about and understand because it is a, it's a very dominant theme in the Bible. Uh, in one version of the Bible, the word hope shows up about 180 times. It is a major theme in a God's word. Uh, it's important. It's hard to define. Uh, and yet uh, it's necessary just for the, the, like the health of a human being. I don't know if you, you know this, but uh, like hope is at the foundation of something that helps somebody navigate life, navigate difficulties. I've read this before, but uh, a medical doctor uh, named Dale Archer had dealt with a lot of people, and especially those towards the end of their life, those struggling with uh, depression even, and he said this. He said, if I could dispense hope in pill form, he said, it would be the most powerful antidepressant because most of my patients, when they lose hope, it is over. Oftentimes, hope is the only thing that stands between them and life and death. And in some belief, like in some way, this word hope means like there is a, a, a better thing coming in the future, a desired outcome, like things are going to get better. And when you lose the belief that that's going to happen, a lot of times that really is what keeps people, even on a physical level, going. Uh, Hal Lindsey, who was a, a student and professor, I believe, at DTS at Dallas Theological Seminary, wrote this in a book. He says, man can live about, live about 40 days without food, uh, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, and about one second without hope. 
Like if we don't think that something's going to change, that's normally where things end. If, a, if you get to the point where you just don't believe your marriage can change, you lose hope in that future, the marriage begins to die. If you lose hope that your kids can change or that your parents can change or that your financial status can change, if we lose the, the belief that something in the future is going to change, that's, that's hope, that is bad news. And so Paul uh, would put hope on the top three uh, of kind of Christian virtues. Okay, and this is another reason this is important for us to discuss because Paul talks about uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, I believe, that these three things remain. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. He would say those three things and one of the three major virtues of, of Christianity or of Christians uh, in our lives is, um, is hope. And many in our world, maybe that's you today, maybe that's not, but so many in our world are, are feeling hopeless. They feel hopeless with um, the state of politics, feel hopeless with uh, the state of conflict in the world, feel hopeless at, our, at your job, feel hopeless in your soul. Uh, what we get to celebrate with Advent and the coming of Jesus is that Jesus brought a rock-solid sense of hope as a gift for us. Um, Paul, the reason why we're, we're landing in 1 Peter um, is, uh, is because Peter, in contrasting to Paul, Paul sometimes, and hopefully you know who Paul is, he, was a, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, um, was an incredibly influential man in the first century, and he kind of, we set aside as the, uh, the apostle of faith. So if you give Paul one tweet, you say, hey, Paul, you get one tweet to, to define uh, your thesis for Christianity. He's probably going to land something to the effect of faith in Christ and his finished work. He just talks about faith in Christ often. He is the apostle and the spokesperson for faith. Uh, John, the apostle John, kind of tends to be the, um, the apostle of love, where he talks about the love of Christ. He talks about over and over and over, if God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. If he gets one tweet, he's going to mention something about love. Uh, but if you give Peter one chance uh, to describe um, just kind of a, a summation of the good news, there's a really good chance he's going to land on hope because he is the apostle of hope. That's what he talks about more than any other writer, and I think it's interesting. He could have very easily been the apostle of cynicism uh, or the apostle of skepticism because he had had some incredible moments in his life where he just absolutely blew it, uh, where he, uh, he denied Christ, he was walking on water, he takes his eyes off and he falls. There are just some really ups and downs, even towards the end of his life when he is persecuted heavily uh, for his following of Jesus, that he could have been the apostle of cynicism, but instead, because Jesus rose from the dead, forever that changed Paul, or that changed Peter, and Peter would become really the apostle of hope. I want to not just define, but hopefully give uh, I, I, somewhat of an analogy or metaphor that I hope is helpful uh, for you as we think through what does the the, the, what does the Bible mean when it talks about Christian hope? Uh, throughout my life, I've done a, a little bit of running. Uh, some of that has been short distance. Some of that has been long distance. Uh, so I sprinted in high school, and uh, goodness, the sprinting days are over. That's not something I think that you like do into your 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, in fact, uh, I do not recommend it. We had a fun little time out with the staff a few months ago, and I, we were playing ultimate frisbee, and I sprinted, and I pulled my hamstring, and it was jet black for a month. So, like, I don't remember, I don't recommend sprinting, but, like, for, for 
sprinting all the way to like long distance marathon running, this seems to be true that uh, as you're running, uh, you, you have to have some kind of a lean forward. Did y'all know this? Some of you are like, no, I try not to run. <laughs> like whether you're sprinting, you have to have a very forward lean or even in a marathon, I've read some things in runner's world that uh, you can go faster if you teach yourself to lean forward a little more. You can't really navigate a race and you surely can't navigate life just leaning up straight and not leaning into something. Uh, and so that is what I want to kind of present as a, as, as a metaphor or story that as a Christian, we're running, you know, what what the writer of Hebrews would say this race of life, and we're constantly leaning in and leaning forward and hoping in something that is coming, but it's not yet here. So think about a race where we are leaning forward and we're running and we're moving. Um, um, Victor Frankl uh, is uh, it's just a, he, he's a hard person to, if you're going to talk about hope, he just constantly comes up. Uh, he was an Austrian psychiatrist uh, that was captured and imprisoned uh, in Germany during World War II, and he spent about three years in four different prison camps and just had an unbelievably difficult life in those three years, as you could well imagine. Lost most of his family, whether that was in the gas chambers or due to disease, and, uh, and, and he eventually would get out and write a book uh, that would become a global bestseller. And the, the point of his book was talking about hope. Uh, and he's, and the, the name of the book is called Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, it's an interesting book. Um, but what he says is that in three years of watching people both survive, live, and give up and die in concentration camps, is he said the single most common and most important factor or we could say the least common denominator in people that survived that was not their physical condition, was not how much food or rations they got. He said the single most important factor in survival was hope. Was hope. He says this. He says the prisoner that had lost faith in the future was doomed. He said he let himself or herself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. He says human beings are driven by their views of their own future, and the more positive the future seems, the more power and purpose there will be for the present. First Peter chapter one. We'll get back to Victor Frankl in a few moments. First Peter chapter one, verses three through five. The apostle of hope, Peter, says this, and we're just going to camp out on these few verses for our time together this morning. If you're there in First Peter and you're excited about hope, let me hear you say hope. hope. Blessed be the God. And the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is just kind of an intro to this phrase. And he's just throwing out a, a, a blessing uh, on God, a thankfulness for God. Just like, like how good is God that he has done this? Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then he kind of reflects on himself and us. If you're a Christian, he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He says, if you're a Christian, that's because God did something, because God caused us to be born again, to have such a fresh start on life that it can only be described as being brought into the world and born again, like blessings to God, and what an unbelievable gift that we have, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. See, you see, like... 
hope and inheritance. He's talking about something that Jesus Christ has purchased for his people that is a sure thing in the future and it is coming and we're leaning into it as we walk through life, but it's not fully here yet. It's not fully realized. Some of what we long for and hope for is coming in the next life, is what we are waiting for in heaven and in glory. He says to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed the last time. I, I haven't studied this as deeply as I would like to, but just that phrase, I, I, I think Peter might be the one that coined that phrase, living hope. I, I could not find it anywhere else that just the idea of hope was, was present for a long time, but that Paul would add that little word, living hope, uh, was a whole new thing because Peter had seen and, and experienced and, and, and witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now it's not just this hope that, well, gosh, I hope God forgives sin. I hope heaven is a real thing. No, because Peter saw Jesus rise from the dead. He knows that our hope is alive and well, and Jesus has given us a living hope. And then two chapters later, in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter comes back to the same idea of hope, but he talks about it as something that if you're a Christian, okay, you can raise your hand in your heart. If you're a Christian, he is saying, like, hope is such an important thing, it should visibly mark you where your non-Christians recognize there's something different about you, and a part of that has to do with hope. Here's what he says in 1 Peter 3. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and no respect and, and, and respect. So Peter would say to the Christian, hope, like this leaning forward and knowing that something better is coming because Jesus promised it and he rose from the grave to secure it should be something that marks us. Because I think in some way, in some shape, voice, shape, form, sense, every human being is leaning forward and looking and longing for something. And, and we just simply have the answer that what the world is hoping for is actually Jesus. But he says like that should mark us. Like Christians shouldn't be marked by being the most cynical, the most pessimistic, the most um, fatalistic, but, uh, but the most hopeful, not even just in things here, but in, in something that is promised to us that is to come. I, I'm going to read uh, a few things from C.S. Lewis that I think are very helpful. So I want to warn you that uh, there's, there's a lot of different uh, quotes that are coming to you. Um, but uh, I, I think the, the reason I want to do this is because like, you sh it's just hard to try to improve on C.S. Lewis. It's hard to just take something he said now like, okay, let me clear this up. Let me make this a little better. Because when I do that, it always comes out much more murky. So I think, well, why don't I just read what he said? Okay, sound good? Okay. C.S. So, uh, Lewis was a, uh, a, a writer, a Christian thinker, an apologist, and he at one point during a very, very hopeless dark season in, uh, in London uh, during World War II, 
you could imagine the just the, the 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 cloud of hopelessness that had fallen across the entire nation where there was war they were sending off uh, their young people to go die in battle they could hear bombs at night there was just a, a lot of sense of hopelessness uh, and he had a season where he was delivering some basically apologetics or descriptions about the Christian faith on the radio waves uh, in London and eventually that would become the book that we know of as mere Christianity. And in, in, in my readings, at least, I, I haven't found anything better than mere Christianity to truly exp explain Christian hope. So that's why I want to read some things that C.S. Lewis says, because he's much uh, smarter than I, and I want to read a little bit of what he says. C.S. Lewis uh, says this about hope. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. We just looked at that faith, hope, and love. He says, and this means... That a continually looking forward to the eternal world is not, he would say, and this is definitely true of us, as some modern people would say, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. He's like, I, we need to be careful that you don't just think Christian hope is like Christians who just like are kind of hoping for heaven and we, all we do is we talk about and we think and our mind is in a place that we're going to be at someday, but then we're kind of just not real helpful. I'm sure you've heard that, that phrase that so-and-so was so heavenly-minded, they were no earthly good. Uh, well, C.S. Lewis is working against it. He's like, that's the, that's, that is just absolutely not true. That's not how it works. He says it's not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but it's one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean, he says, that we are to leave the present world as it is. He says if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. And then he gives some examples. And this is talking about how true Christian hope and putting our, our hope and leaning forward into heaven and glory and Christ and the promise that's coming is actually what makes us the most helpful in this world. The first example he gives is the apostles. He says, like, the apostles were living for a, a kingdom that was coming, and, and they were longing for and leaning in and hoping in this, this future uh, promise of heaven. And in the midst of that, they turned the world upside down, and he says that they put to foot the conversion of the Roman Empire precisely because they were longing for heaven. And, and then he, he talks about the, the English abolitionists, much like uh, William Wilberforce, who um, de devoted their lives to ending the slave trade across the globe. He says, why were they so helpful to changing the scope of the earth? Because they were hoping for and longing for heaven. And he says, and I totally believe this, and I agree with this, maybe you might as well, that those who have no hope of, of eternity, no hope of heaven, no concept of something better coming are just destined to be perpetually frustrated and upset in this life because you're hoping for heaven here and you're just never going to get it. He keeps going. He says, sadly, many of us, and I want you, Christian, uh, to listen to this for a few moments. It's a warning about um, Christians who might lose hope, who might take our eyes off of this future promise that we have been given. He says, sadly... Many of us were so tethered to this world and to the things it offers that we scarcely take time to think of the world to come. Yet, but that's precisely by reflecting often on the joys and the beauties and satisfactions of eternal life in the world to come that we find a hope that empowers us to live for Christ today. 
Lewis says, it's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Why is hope so important? Because we have a living hope that Christ has given us, and that's what makes us effective in the world that we have been put in now. And then this famous line, I'm sure many of you have heard, he says, if you aim at heaven, if your hope is in heaven, then you get heaven and earth throw in. He says, if you aim at earth, you get neither. 1 Peter 1, 3, I want to read it again. Just with the context of what hope means, it's a, a sure promised thing. You can be assured of the promises of Jesus as his resurrection. What we know about hope, listen to this again. It might even be helpful to close your eyes and to listen to Peter speaking to us by the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A sure and a definite future is my words. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Everyone, whether people know it or not, are looking for hope. They're longing for something. They're leaning in for something. And what we hold out to them is a living hope that Christ has. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, if we have a desire, a, a longing for something, satisfaction for that desire must exist. He says, if God has put inside of a child a hunger, well, then that means there's something outside that will fix that problem. There, like food exists, he would say, he says that of thirst. If, if we have this desire, uh, then, then something exists to quench the thirst, even love. If we have this desire to love and to be loved, uh, then something exists out there uh, to meet that. He says, that does not imply that a baby who hungers will always be fed. But it does mean that there is an actual way to satisfy the longing. He says, if we accept this premise, that all our desires can indeed be satisfied, what of the desires for which we have no satisfaction to be found on earth? And I know I'm getting into some philosophy things, but uh, I saw an interview not long ago by Jim Carrey, uh, the, the great theologian Jim Carrey, right? Uh, no, the great, the great actor Jim Carrey, and he said this, it was so interesting. He said, I wish everybody in the world could experience the level of um, success and wealth that I have experienced so that they can find out that it is very empty and it doesn't satisfy. I thought that was so strange. Like there's this longing, every human being has a longing to uh, to, 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 to be loved and to love and to be satisfied and to be content and to belong. And like all of these things have been put in us and they've been put in us to find their fulfillment somewhere. The, the, the reason Christian hope is so important because what we're saying is Jesus is the answer for what you're leaning into. He says this way, and I'm almost done, I promise, I'm almost done with C.S. Lewis. Our desires were never meant to be satisfied by earthly pleasures alone. Instead, they lead us to something what he calls further up and further in, to the true source of satisfaction found only in the presence of God. Heaven is where we come into complete and unceasing union with our Creator and yet also become most fully ourselves. It is the far-off country for which we were fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Romans chapter 15 says this, just connecting the idea of Jesus coming and Advent and what we're celebrating and us being people that have been uh, bought and purchased by Jesus. And how does that connect? Romans says this, the Apostle Paul is reaching all the way back to Isaiah and he says, and once again, this is Romans 5, uh, 12, I don't believe it's on the screen, but listen in. Again, Paul says, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, that's Jesus, he will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. It's like, like Jesus is coming, and when Jesus shows up, that's who Jew, Gentile, everybody needs to put their hope because he is the true satisfaction for the longings of the human soul. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add one more. I had a question mark on this. I didn't know if I wanted to include this or not. But uh, last thing, I promise, from C.S. Lewis. He says, and I think this is true because a lot of people, like, we just, in our culture, maybe it's a human thing, maybe it's an American culture thing. We don't, I don't think, spend a lot of time thinking about heaven uh, and longing for heaven maybe like we should. He says this. He says, most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all. He says, as far as heaven means, uh, at least, uh, uh, well, except in, in so far as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. And another reason, he says, that we uh, want for the real heaven is that heaven is actually... Let me start again here. Another reason is that when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. Most people, and if you're not a believer, maybe you came in, maybe you've got some questions, some longings, uh, I would love for you to consider if this might be true. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they actually do want and want very acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in the world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. May I submit to you, if you're longing for something and you're hoping for something and you're leaning in, what you're actually looking for is Christ. Back to my running analogy and I'm done. Uh, in a short race, a sprint, a long race, you just kind of uh, lean forward. Uh, but you do that only while you're racing. Right, only while you're running because when you're taught when you're a sprinter, uh, you come out of the box and you're leaning forward the whole time. But then uh, right towards the end, there's a, there, there's a finish line, there's, there's the tape, and you're taught to like really lean in and dip at the end so that you can win. Um, but then when you're done with the race, what do you do? You're like, no, you don't stand up straight, you know, <laughs> even more. You've been over, maybe so. But like you, you lean forward your whole race, and at the end you lean forward more, and then when you're done, you quit leaning forward. Why? Because you've accomplished what you were after. Like you finished the race, now you can stand up tall. I, I want to use this metaphor one last time. In the Christian life, we, we lean forward. Part of our heart and mind is always set on, on heaven, and it should be, and these promises that will be ultimately fulfilled with Christ forever, but in this life we're leaning forward and hoping for that, and some of us maybe towards the end of our life will we'll maybe even know like Paul did that the end is coming and lean even further 
But then when we breathe our last breath, when our life is over, when we're done, then we stand up straight and there is no more hope. I I was thinking about this week of those three things that Paul talks about. He says these are three foundational virtues of being a Christian. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because that's the only permanent one out of the three. Okay? Faith only exists until heaven when faith becomes sight. Right? If, like, like it's just, that's just the experience. There, we don't necessarily have faith as, as Hebrews defines faith because we see Jesus. Okay, so faith has, has a shelf life that gets us to glory, and then we don't need faith anymore. We have sight. Hope is like leaning in until you cross the finish line and get there. You don't hope in heaven. Why? Because it's all been realized. It's the, it's the reality that you have forever, so the only thing that remains is love, the love of God for his people, the love of us in response to our God through the gospel. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. I, 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 that, that analogy for some reason was helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you that in this life we hope and we long for what Jesus has promised is coming for those who have been purchased by his blood. And when we get there, we stand up tall and we enjoy it forever. This is the gospel that Jesus has come. And we celebrate that as a Christian every day, every Sunday, but particularly in Advent, that Jesus has come and he has brought with him living hope. That he is the answer to all of our longings. He died for us in our place to reconcile us to God, to cause us to be born again, and to give us a home. And if we have hope in that, you can navigate anything in this life because you know that a better life is surely coming because Jesus rose from the dead. Let's pray. God, I help. I hope and I pray that you might help us to to grasp and to understand just the depths of the promise of hope that you have given us. God, our hope for heaven is not that maybe it will happen or maybe you might be able to pull it off, but it is a sure and a definite thing purchased for us. It is just a matter of time, like the sun rising the next day, it's coming. I pray that you would help us uh, in a culture that is so 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 acutely fixed on things of this earth, would you help turn our hearts towards your kingdom that is coming and help us lean in to the promises that you've given us? I pray that you would help make us faithful and fruitful in this world to share the gospel and to present a hope. God, if anybody in this room this morning feels those longings in their soul which never really are satisfied like they think they should, I pray that you might cause them to put their hope in you and find true satisfaction in a relationship with Christ. Jesus, we love you. We celebrate you. We need you. All of our hope is in you. Jesus, I pray in these next few moments as we sing, as we pray, as we respond, that you're truly honored and that you would bless us, that you would strengthen us. We love you and I pray all this in your name. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.